You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, May 4th, 2020. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner breaks down Governor Eric Holcomb's plan to reopen the economy. Also coming up in the next half hour, I talk to Mayor John Hamilton in the latest installment of A Few Minutes with the Mayor. But first, your local headlines. Indiana State Department of Health reports 583 new positive cases of coronavirus with 19 new deaths. Total positive cases are now at 20,507 people, while the total death toll rises to 1,151 people. Meanwhile, Governor Eric Holcomb released his plan to reopen Indiana's economy, despite the increasing number of positive cases. The governor laid out four guiding principles to, quote, get back on track, end quote. One. The number of hospitalized COVID-19 patients statewide has decreased for 14 days. Two, the state retains its surge capacity for critical care beds and ventilators. Three, the state retains the ability to test all Hoosiers who are COVID-19 symptomatic, as well as healthcare workers, essential workers, first responders, and others as delineated on the ISDH website. Four, Health officials have systems in place to contact all individuals who test positive for COVID-19 and complete contact tracing. After the governor announced his plans to reopen the economy, Monroe County Health Department extended the stay-at-home order locally from May 1st until May 15th at 11.59 p.m. In the health order, all food and beverage sales, including alcoholic beverages, remain restricted to carry-out and delivery only. Lines for carry-out must maintain at least a six-feet social distance. The order also states that all people living in Monroe County must continue to stay in their homes, with some exceptions. Those exceptions are travel necessary for certain essential activities, buying groceries, medicine, or other products essential to maintain safety, sanitation, and essential operations of the home, including essential automotive supplies. Outdoor exercise is permitted, although people should maintain at least six feet apart at all times, unless you're with your family members. Depending on circumstance, traveling to and from work will be permitted. If you are performing minimum basic operations for a business whose facility is temporarily closed, you can travel to and from work. This includes taking inventory, improving physical condition of a plant and equipment, security, payroll, and employee benefits. Traveling to and from work is also permitted for essential employees of an employer in the healthcare industry. Today, May 4th, is the last day to register to vote in the June primary election. Primary elections are held in each state to determine which candidates will be placed on the general election ballot on November 3rd for both state and presidential legislative seats. You can register to vote by visiting indianavoters.in.gov. County officials are encouraging voters to request an absentee ballot to cast their primary votes by mail. Due to COVID-19, anyone can request this absentee ballot for any reason. The absentee ballot application can be found on the Monroe County website. 
Up next, WFHB News correspondent Jake Jacobson reports on IU Student Body President's support of the All-Dependent Children Count Act. For more on the story, we turn to WFHB correspondent Jake Jacobson. Last week, the Indiana University Student Government Facebook page announced that Student Body President Isabel Mishkin would be joining presidents from the other 13 Big Ten schools in support of H.R. Bill 6420, known as the All-Dependent Children Count Act. In a press release, Executive Director of the Association of Big Ten Students, Aidan Sova, highlights the unique struggles that college students face due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, including loss of housing due to campus evacuations, food insecurity, and job loss and uncertainty. Sova continues, saying, quote, We are facing unparalleled amounts of stress and uncertainty as we navigate our academic endeavors, continue to keep up with our coursework, and apply for jobs, end quote. In late March, Congress passed the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act. The CARES Act, among other measures, issued a one-time payment of $1,200 per adult and $500 per dependent to single taxpayers who make less than $75,000 a year or married taxpayers who make less than $150,000 a year. While some Hoosiers are still waiting on their stimulus check and may be waiting until early September, according to an IRS report obtained by the Washington Post, many college students do not currently qualify for a stimulus payment at all. Through the CARES Act, families only receive $500 per dependent 16 years or younger. This means that college students who are considered dependents on their family's taxes do not qualify for either payout. The All-Dependent Children Count Act, introduced to Congress by Democratic Senator Tina Smith and Democratic Representative Angie Craig, would eliminate that 16 and under age cap. This would allow families to collect at least some compensation for students who are otherwise left out of pandemic relief. Elaine Modge is a principal research associate at the Urban Bookings Tax Policy Center, an independent organization that analyzes tax issues. Modge says that while a majority of tax dependents are under 17, students make up a significant number of adult dependents. So there's about 90 million people that are dependents on tax returns each year, and almost all of them are under 17, around 70 million of them, but that leaves about 20 million adults who are dependents and not counting for the stimulus checks. About 5 million of those adults are elderly, so that's typically parents who live with their children and, um, you know, they're not caring for themselves anymore. The children are sort of responsible for the parents. And there's about 15 million people that we think are either 17 or 18-year-olds, so they don't qualify for the credit, or they're 19 to 23 and in school full-time. So, of course, the 17-year-olds, there's about 4 million of them, and they're mostly still in high school. And then of the other folks, there's about 9 million students who are in school full-time but show up on their parents' tax return. There are benefits for families who claim full-time students as dependents on their taxes. However, Maj continues, many students don't get to choose their dependency status. So it's not actually a choice that the student gets to make. The tax system sort of tells you you're a dependent or you're independent. And the big test is, 
do you provide more than half of your own support? So a typical college student who's, you know, under 23 is still largely being supported by their parents. Housing costs, food costs, transportation, a lot of these things, tuition, are being paid for by parents. And that's why they show up on the parents' tax return. So then there's this question of, well, could the student just declare themselves independent? And if they could make a case that they were providing more than half of their own support, then they could. And a typical path would be if they have substantial earnings, so enough earnings that it looks to the IRS like you are, in fact, providing most of your support. You might also have loans, and if they're only in your name and you, the student, are responsible for them, then that counts as support that you're providing for yourself. But if those loans have your parents co-signing with you, then that doesn't count as you supporting yourself because your parents are still contributing by securing that loan for you. This means that students who don't qualify for a direct payment but are too old to count towards the family's relief could not have declared themselves as independents in order to receive relief anyway. Maj points out that even before the pandemic, students should be considered a vulnerable part of the population. There's been some really eye-opening research in the past few years showing that in many ways students are extremely vulnerable. Tuitions are much higher than they used to be. Students don't get the kind of support from transfer programs that other people do. There's, you know, recent reports about student homelessness, about food insecurity among students. And it's definitely a problem that appears to be getting larger. And so there's well-documented needs of students, particularly in the you know, 19 to 23-year-old age group. As COVID-related closings, furloughs, and layoffs continue, income loss threatens all Hoosiers. Indiana University has committed to paying its staff through the end of the academic year, even if they cannot do their jobs remotely. Off-campus job opportunities have disappeared, as businesses cannot afford to keep payroll with reduced traffic. The additional relief available through the All-Dependent Children Count Act would, as Sova says, quote, help mitigate some of the many issues that students are struggling with now, end quote. The bill was introduced to the House of Representatives at the end of March and awaits further action from the House Committee on Ways and Means. For WFHB, I'm Jake Jacobson. Now, with more coverage on Governor Holcomb's decision to reopen Indiana's economy, we turn to WFHB news correspondent Katrine Bruner. On Sunday, May 3rd, Indiana Governor Holcomb announced his five-step reopen plan called Back on Track. As an initiative to open Indiana's economy and gradually get Hoosiers back to work while keeping safety health measures. In the press conference, Holcomb announced that all Indiana counties, excluding Cass, Lake, and Marion, will move into stage two of the plan now. In order for states to reopen and to be able to proceed with the plan, the four guiding principles need to be met. Number one, the number of hospitalized COVID-19 patients has been monitored. Number two, the capacity for treating patients has been retained. Number three, the ability to test Hoosiers who are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 is available. Number four, the ability to do contact tracing with all cases is available. Once these principles are met within the state, the next steps can be taken. 
Stage 2, as announced Sunday, will begin on May 4th and will be less restrictive. Social gatherings up to 25 people are permitted, and restaurants and bars serving food will reopen at 50% capacity on May 11th. Bars, gyms, and other mass contact businesses will remain closed. Essential travel will also be lifted, however with limited interaction with the public and keeping social distancing guidelines. Indoor religious services may continue and allow more than 10 people to attend. Citizens of age 65 and older and other high-risk people are asked to stay home. Stage 3 of the plan is set to begin on May 24th, where social gatherings of up to 100 people may occur and pools, playgrounds, campgrounds, and gyms will reopen with restrictions. During Stage 4, which is set to begin June 14th, face coverings will be optional and more businesses such as zoos and museums will reopen at 50% capacity, along with state government buildings. Recreational sports will be able to resume at 50% capacity, and large venues will open while remaining distant under social distancing guidelines. Retail stores and malls can also reopen at full capacity. During the final stage, Stage 5, set for July 4th, fairs, festivals, and sporting events can resume. Restaurants and retail businesses can expand to full capacity, and amusement and water park restrictions can be lifted. Although the back-on-track plan is set for the state of Indiana, counties Marion, Lake, and Cass County will remain at Stage 1 until permitted to move on. Monroe County was not listed as one of the counties to remain at Stage 1 during Sunday's press conference. However, it was announced on May 1st through a health order that Monroe County would be extending their stay-at-home order until May 15th. The health order was issued by Mayor Hamilton of the City of Bloomington, the Monroe County Board of Commissioners, and the representatives of Ellettsville. To protect all Monroe County residents and reduce the spread of the coronavirus, the order was set to take effect from May 1st until May 15th. As stated directly in the order, quote, Locally, data and our public health indicators do not show that we as a county are meeting the gating criteria set forth by the Centers for Disease Control of COVID-19. Therefore, the intent of this health order is to maintain the status quo and current measures until those gating criteria are met." End quote. The orders that the citizens of Monroe County have been under are expected to stay the same. This includes orders such as only essential travel for groceries, buying medicine, or other essential purchases or activities. When participating in outdoor exercises like walking, biking, hiking, or running, citizens are expected to keep a distance of six feet from other people. All individuals residing in Monroe County are asked to continue to stay in their residence otherwise. Also continuing to be in effect will be the safety and health precautions to follow when individuals must interact with one another outside the home, such as limiting close contact, sharing devices, and supplies. Lastly, all persons are strongly encouraged and recommended by health officials to wear a face covering when in public and near others to protect themselves and others. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Thanks for listening. Now it's time for the latest installment of A Few Minutes with the Mayor. We turn to WFHB Assistant News Director Sydney Foreman as she interviews Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton. Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter 
posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on A Few Minutes with the Mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. The first question we have today is, um, with Governor Holcomb's announcement of easing up on the stay-at-home order restrictions, does the city see itself moving back to in-person council and commission meetings in the near future? We will move back to in-person meetings eventually. Uh, I think it'll take some time. Um, as you probably know, the county and city together with the health department agreed that we should hold off on any significant changes for at least a couple weeks because we do not have in Monroe County the health indicators that suggest it is time to loosen up restrictions. We do not have a 14-day downward curve in the cases or other indicators. Um, so I do think we'll get there, but I think it'll take some time. We're going to continue to see the non-physical meetings happening uh, for a number of weeks, I would expect. And that kind of leads into my follow-up there is with the governor's easing up on these rules, but our county is still in a state of emergency until the 15th. So what does that mean for the county versus the state for us here in the county? Well, the governor set out a a series of four new stages where he, he would say we're in stage one and he, he named us several stages up to stage five by July 4th with the goal of basically reopening everything and being back to um, substantial normalcy, if we can call it that, uh, by July 4th. Um, we looked and have continued to look very carefully locally and um, have felt that all those, any changes like that need to be based on the health data, and we just don't have the data locally to justify a change. Um, and frankly, I'm I'm a little concerned that the state level uh, we don't we don't I haven't seen the data yet either myself. So um, you know we're 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 following the CDC and the national health guidelines that say you really need to see a number of indicators in, in order to start to loosen, and you need to constantly monitor. You got to have testing. You got to have tracing, and you got to have two weeks of downward trend in your in your caseloads. Um, and we don't have that. That's the short and simple answer. Locally, we don't have those indicators. And until we do, we need to continue the the, the uh, protocols that we have. So um, you know what what that means is, and the governor, I I will give him credit that he explicitly said local governments may want to take a different pace based on on facts on the ground and we do and we have so we are going to have a little different pace in monroe county and uh we're just going to keep focused as we do we meet three times a week with experts and health experts and government and review where we are we're going to keep doing that so the next question then is does the city have any plans to help assist local businesses reopen not just financially but helping them understand how to get back on their feet it is so important that we work together as we move into recovery and reopening that we do that very uh, thoughtfully and intentionally and with help, yes. So I stood up uh, now more than a month ago a working group that was that's focused on the economic stabilization and recovery. It includes a uh, half dozen, eight people or so who have been working together very closely and, and including a financial program that we've talked about and others. But one of the current pressing topics for that group is to look at how do we share information, coordinate with businesses and the nonprofits and other organizations that are going to be reopening so that it can be done 
thoughtfully and appropriately and, and with good health protection. So absolutely, there are going to be webinars and there's a lot of thinking going on now to how to help a, if you're a bookstore, if you're a, if you're a grocery store and you're changing, if you're a restaurant, if you're a hair salon, if you're a, a general goods store, how do you open uh, and do it right? So that's going to be a lot of work over the next several weeks. The next one is community members are starting to receive their city-run digital equity community surveys in the mail. And as I understand, this is to identify internet needs and gaps in the community. And so how does the city plan to respond to any of these needs or gaps that would be brought up by the survey? Well, thanks for asking about that. You know, I've been very interested in, focused on digital services uh, since I became mayor. I've, it's been a little frustrating uh, with some of the changes nationally that we've we've not been able to put in place uh, ubiquitous high-speed, uh, di- you know, gigabit-speed digital service. Um, we're continuing to think about that and work on that. But one aspect that we have taken this step on is well, let's try to identify, and there just wasn't good data, let's try to identify where are the biggest pain points and digital equity uh, uh, pressures in our community. Where, who, who doesn't have good access to the internet and good speed access? And we all know how important that is now as we spend more time, many of us, uh, trying to get online and Zoom meetings and other kind of uses of the internet. So this survey, and if you do get the survey, please fill it out and return it. Uh, it's sent out randomly to people so we get a good representative sample. This will help us identify who, where, what we're missing uh, for, for digital services, which will help us try to identify some responses that we might be able to develop with that. You know, there, there are kids who, who have difficulty meeting uh, remote school uh, technology demands. Uh, there are workers who may find it difficult to do their work at home. There are health resources and health access that may be difficult for some people. And all of these services are probably going to become more and more important in the years ahead. So this should help us identify some of the challenges and try to develop strategies to respond to those. And so last week, you urged the community to vote by absentee ballot for their June primary elections. Um, Why is this so important for the community to vote by mail? Well, there are a number of reasons vote by mail is important. Some some states have actually moved to completely vote by mail, and they find it's it's efficient. They get a lot of participation by voters. Uh, it's it's a it's a new way to do it that really encourages participation and saves money. And so I think it's overall it's really a good thing to consider because, from my perspective, the more ways we can help people vote make it easy to vote, encourage voting, the better. Of course, with COVID-19 present, it's a particularly important way to think about how do you vote without facing uh, some of the dangers that can happen if you get large collections of people. So both because it's a good thing overall, and we should be working on uh, vote by mail in general, and because right now with COVID, we have particular reason to think about how do we reduce large gatherings of people and that kind of thing. It's, it's really important. So I hope Everybody will. I plan to vote by mail uh, with the June 2nd primary coming up. You have to request a ballot. Uh, registration actually closes today, voter registration for the June 2nd primary. Uh, primary. But uh, you should reach out and get a get a absentee ballot sent to you. And you can do it for any reason this time. That's a new thing. So please, uh, we encourage people to vote by mail. 
Mm-hmm. How did the events unfold at the new farmer's market? It was adapted to the common shower location and there were a lot of changes. And so just do you know how that kind of all went down? Did it run smoothly? Are there any issues that the city plans to kind of work through before next Saturday? I understand the farmer's market went very well. I, I did not go uh, this week uh, to the farmer's market myself, but I've seen the reports. There were uh, over 600 orders. Uh, It was the largest dollar amount of orders uh, yet this year spent uh, to do that. I know uh, I've heard reports that the new structure of lining up with physical distancing and kind of walking through collecting your pre-purchased, pre-ordered items uh, went, went well. I'm sure there will be some feedback. I know that we, we sent out a survey monkey to all the customers to ask for more feedback. Uh, the online orders for the coming May 9th Saturday market begin at 6 a.m. Tuesday morning. So if you want to get online and order, uh, you can get on starting at 6 a.m. We, we do have a current capacity uh, max of 750 people and we were just over 600 last Saturday. So we'll see if we if we bump into that cap, we'll have to look at what we can do to accommodate more people. But overall, let me just thank the park staff and the and all the people who make the market work. Uh, they've been they've just been busting their tails to figure out how to make it work in these new days. And uh, the health department's helped us. And, and thanks everybody for making that work. Do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Sydney Foreman. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer 